we going to get this thing started? Are we going to do this? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to do it. You know why we're going to do it? Because this, 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 this won't hurt a bit. I bought sushi. I ate some bad crab legs. A food marked as like duck on a stick. Macaroni salad. May not have been duck. Spicy tuna roll. It was delicious ceviche and it was great when it was served. Barbecue chicken salad. Raw oysters. I'm up all night into the next day. I was constantly vomiting into a bag in the car. Uncontrollable vomiting and diarrhea in someone else's house. Yes, it is indeed possible to have things come out of you from both ends simultaneously. I vomited on myself while I was on the toilet. It just was literally black liquid out of my tuchus <laughs> for hours, for hours. That scene from Aliens, this chestburster things, that's what, that's what I thought was going on and I really thought I was gonna die. I had to call my mom to like help me out. I was basically like the most miserable person on the planet. Yeah, I despise food poisoning. I feel like I'm getting it all the time. Yeah. Is that true? Do people get it a lot? It is fairly common, and I think we should talk about it. What food poisoning is, what causes it, how do outbreaks happen, and how do we treat it? So in this episode of This One Had A Bit, we're going to talk to infectious disease docs and food scientists all about uh, food poisoning. So we'll talk about outbreaks at popular chain restaurants and what to do if you get food poisoning, Dave. My name is Dr. Mel Herbert. And I'm Dr. Jess Mason. And I am Dave Mason. Food poisoning is much more common than uh, most people realize. Every year, get this, one in six people gets food poisoning. And there are more than 250 different foodborne diseases from bacteria to viruses to funguses to parasites. But thankfully, Dave, we are not going to talk about all 250 today. We're only going to discuss two and two of the more common ones of the bacterial causes. So we're going to focus on Staph aureus and E. coli. Part one, Staphylococcus aureus. A lot of people think that food poisoning only comes from certain foods like raw eggs, for example, or fish. And that's true, it can, but it can also come from any food from a cow to a cucumber to a candy bar. Staphylococcus was first described or identified in 1881 by a Scottish surgeon, Sir Alexander Ogston, who was studying the cause of wound infections. He named it staph for the Greek word for a cluster of grapes because that's what it looks like under a microscope. And I'm sure this is how he talked. Yeah, that sounds northern <laughs> that, dialect. Yeah, that's pretty much right on the button there. Mm -hmm. um, but it does turn out that staph is everywhere. It's not just in wound infections. It's certainly in wound infections, but it's also in the air, it's on your skin, and it is in your food. Well, staph aureus is pretty much everywhere. That's Greg Moran. He's an emergency physician who's also board certified in internal medicine and infectious diseases. He's a triple threat. Oof. Overachiever. So, it, you know, we probably all eat a bunch of staph that's sitting on our food all the time. And if it's small amounts and if it's not producing a lot of toxin and it hasn't been sitting there at room temperature for a long enough time for those bacteria to grow and produce that toxin, you're not going to get enough in it to really hurt you. Okay, so it's the toxin that's hurting you and not the bacteria. So if I eat, just say, like a huge bowl full of staph, right? Ew. I was somehow to like get staph and put it in a bowl. It's not the staph that's going to make me sick when I'm eating it. It's it's the toxin that the staph is producing that's going to make me sick, right? Uh, yeah, in this case, that's true. It's the toxin that's sort of the byproduct of the staph replicating that's going to make you sick. But Dave, I do not suggest that you eat a bowl full of staph because oh. at that level, the staph is probably going to take up residence in you and do other bad things. Oh. So here, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, 
don't eat bowlfuls of Steph. You've learned something already. And we could say one out of two doctors does not recommend you <laughs> eat a bowlful of Steph. So I have to return my Costco-sized Steph that <laughs> I bought Oh, but it was recently. so cheap. A bacteria is a living organism. This is Lynn McLansbro. She is a food microbiologist and a professor at the University of Massachusetts, Amherst. The toxin is something the bacteria makes while it's growing. It's a byproduct of their growth. We call it a toxin because it does something adverse in the body. So we call it a toxin when small amounts of it make us very sick. And the most classic way to get staph food poisoning that they teach to every medical student and nursing student and everybody who does healthcare is from where? That's right, the potato salad Mm. at the church picnic. So a little cluster of staph that looks like Concord grapes just happens to be hanging out in your potato salad. It's 86 degrees outside and that's the staff's favorite temperature to replicate. So at first the potato salad was chilled, but as it warms up in the sun, the staff gets more and more at home, starts replicating and uh, replicating some more and replicating some more and replicating some more. Each time it replicates, it makes this super toxin called staph enterotoxin. And even just the tiniest amount of this can make you sick. Get this, 200 nanograms can cause illness. And you ask yourself, how much is 200 nanograms? Well, that's about one one thousandth of a grain of sugar. And that, sir, and ma'am, is not very much. So let's say you take a bite of this delicious, creamy, chunky potato salad. And there are no clues at all that it's sprinkled with toxin. You swallow it, it travels down your esophagus and into your stomach, and your stomach it churns up the food, it's squirting out acids, and this normally would destroy most bacteria, but not this toxin. So that toxin gets absorbed into your stomach and your intestinal cells, it activates the centers in your brain to tell you to throw up and go poop a lot. And so bam, just like a bolt of lightning, without any warning, you're running to the bathroom to expel that toxin. Harry, are you in there? Be right out! When you're running into first, then you mm-hmm. think you're gonna oh my gosh. burst. <laughs> Diarrhea. Diarrhea. Thank you. <laughs> what happened if it isn't expelled from you? Because there's such a violent reaction your body has to this toxin. What if you just took a bunch of like Dramamine or something to keep you from throwing up and an emodium from, you know, bazooking in the toilet? Bazookiing, bazooking. Well, in this case, in this toxin, <laughs> I don't do? think it would do too much. You'd, eventually, it'd probably just break down. Oh. But uh, there's probably no drug that we have in all of medicine that can stop you puking and vomiting and diarrheaing at this point. It is so powerful, this stuff. Yeah, it's super powerful. So when it happens like this, when there is a toxin that's preformed that you eat and it makes you very sick, we call this classic food poisoning. And that's why it happens so fast, usually within an hour or two. If you say, "Uh, I'll cook it, I'll make it safe and cook it, you might kill those Staph aureus that were growing in that ham, but you won't kill the toxin so that when you consume that ham, you could still get sick. So what you're saying, regardless of what I eat, the ham, the bologna sandwich on the bus, the potato salad, a candy bar, whatever, if it's got staph on it and I cook it and heat it up, that's not going to kill the toxin. I'll still, I'll still ingest the toxin and it will cause a rough night. Right. Cooking your food protects you from most bacteria and toxin, okay. but with staph, its super villain power is heat resistance. And that's pretty unique to staph. So what temperatures can it survive in? Like, what's the upper limit where I know I'm going to kill it? What's the degrees? So some studies show that you have to heat your food up to 250 degrees Fahrenheit 
for over 10 or 11 minutes before that staff breaks down. So that's pretty hot for yeah. a fairly long time. That is hot. That's hotter than boiling temperatures. So what that means is if you've got a little bit of food that you think maybe a bit off, maybe there's a little staff food poisoning in there, a little toxin, then you'd have to take that ham, for example, and reheat it to 250 degrees for 10 or 15 minutes. And people just don't do that. You have to cook it almost as much as when you first cooked it. And the potato salad? Nobody wants potato salad cooked at 250 degrees for 10 minutes, let me tell you. Yeah. So anyway, okay, so that's staff. Staff is on you, it is in you, and it is everywhere. And the best thing you can do is to decrease Eat the chance... Eat potato salad in the winter. Refrigerate it is the bottom line. Wash food, wash your hands, refrigerate your food, decrease your chance of eating a bunch of toxin. Part 2. E. coli. So food poisoning from staff is fairly common because it's, you know, it's all over the place. But uh, what's really likely to land you in the hospital because it's going to make you much more sick is another bacteria. This bacteria is called E. coli. Now, E. coli is everywhere. It's all over you. It's certainly in you and especially in your poo. We live in a world full of poop. In fact, even the first world is full of poop, believe it or not. And there are many infections that are spread by what we call the fecal-oral contamination route in which, yes... You are eating poop. We all do. Face it. Just deal with it. You, are, you, everyone listening here, eats microscopic amounts of poop on a probable daily basis. So I'm not trying to eat poop? What? No, I, I'm usually not trying really? to eat poop. That's good to know. Then you yeah. haven't had my cooking. I have high <laughs> standards. Um, but then how is this happening, and why am I eating animal poop all the time? E. coli in general, is good for us. We love E. coli. We're all full of E. coli. Each one of us has trillions of E. coli in our gut. They are good to us if we are good to them. But certain strains of E. coli can be problematic because certain strains of E. coli have toxins that can, again, make us sick. So there's normal amounts of E. coli in us, and that's good, and they're helpful, and we like them. But if you get one of these other bad strains of E. coli into your gut, they can make you sick. They take over. They can produce things like traveler's diarrhea. You go down to Mexico, some other developing country, someplace where maybe the water isn't treated as effectively or the food gets contaminated with it, and that's the classic cause of traveler's diarrhea, is actually E. coli, which is the bacteria that we're all full of, but if you get strains that are different from the strains that normally live in your gut, they will replace those strains. There's an epic battle going on of the good E. coli and bad E. coli in your gut, and until that gets sorted out, you will get symptoms of diarrhea and sometimes vomiting. So let's go over this again and be very clear. Most E. coli are your friend. You can't talk to them, but they're your friends. But when a new strain comes to town... They've got to sort out their differences in your gut. And until that happens, you're probably going to get a little bit of diarrhea. But that's not the type of E. coli food poisoning that makes you really, really sick. There's a couple of strains by the names of O157H7 and O26. These strains can make you really sick. So we remember from staff, the superpower was heat resistance. But with E. coli, their superpower is they have the ability to break down your intestinal wall and get into your bloodstream and make toxin in you. And E. coli's toxin, it's really bad, and it's called shiga toxin. So let's say you're going to grill up some hamburgers for dinner. Mm -hmm. And you, like many people, like it medium rare, right? Of course. Who doesn't? Who doesn't? But inside your hamburger patty, it's pink and it's bursting with delicious burger flavor. But it's also bursting with some nasty strains of E. coli. 
because you see E. coli, it was in the GI tract of the cow, but during the slaughtering and butchering and grinding, a little of the gut flora got thrown in the mix and now it's in your unsuspecting hamburger. So you take a bite of your juicy E. coli burger. This time when you eat that uh, E. coli, because that's basically what you're eating, it goes to your stomach. It has the ability to attach to your intestinal wall. It gets about sort of setting up house. Oh, this is a nice place to live. And it starts to replicate and it starts to replicate and it sort of invades into the tissues that line your gut. And then it starts to produce toxin as part of its growing cycle. The shiga toxin goes into the cell surface along the intestine and it can actually kill the cells along the intestines. It can also get into the bloodstream and go through the body. So you start to get belly pain and you start to bleed and you start to have bloody diarrhea. And you also get sort of the nausea and the vomiting as well. So now you've got this horrible combo is that you're nauseous, you're vomiting, you've got diarrhea, there's blood in your diarrhea, and you also can get a fever. Your mother or grandmother used to call this dysentery. It's bad, very bad. In addition to the pain and vomiting and bloody diarrhea, the toxin from these bad strains of E. coli can also cause something much, much worse. It can cause a syndrome called hemolytic uremic syndrome, where these toxins actually get into our system, they can break down our blood cells, they can damage the kidney, they can cause neurologic symptoms, and can in some cases be fatal. So hemolytic uremic syndrome can occur in as many as 10% of people who get this bad strain of E. coli, especially in kids under the age of 10 years of age. So just as Dr. Moran said, it can make you anemic, it can cause kidney failure, it can even cause neurological problems, and sometimes it can even kill you. This is a bad player. So. E. coli is like a little coating of seasoning on any steak. A seasoning. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to get cooked off, right, under under extreme temperatures. But it's when you start grinding up that steak and it's getting all mixed in the middle. That's the problem. Exactly. You got it, Dave. So there might be E. coli on steak, like you said, but it's on the outside. So you cook it, you've killed that E. coli. But it's when it's ground up, just like you said, it's all mixed in. And that's why with hamburger meat or ground meats, you have to cook them all the way through. So if you really like that pink, like raw meat, taste the pink juice yeah the mm. pink juice it's safer to get your steak like that than your burger and this happens to me all the time and i literally happened to me like two days ago so i'm going to a hamburger joint high-end hamburger joint and uh it's really good and uh, the gentleman there the, says uh, so how would you like your hamburger done and i'm like uh well done please cooked all the way through and he's like excuse me sir uh, yeah i want it well done but no i want it well done he didn't go on to say, ask me why, because I would have said, because they're poopy yeah. in the middle of that party. <laughs> right. What if you grind your own burger? What if you take you buy your own steak? Yeah, that's probably a lot safer. And you grind in your own meat grinder. The way to that could work if you wash the outside of the steak yeah, and like, flush all the E. coli okay. off and make sure that everything else is clean, and then you ground your own. It'd probably be much safer. Okay, but than still. the food processing that occurs, you know, at these big giant plants and. If you want to do it, that's fine. Actually, Still safer, though. Dave got really bad food poisoning. We went to an unnamed, really expensive hamburger place. Oh, McDonald's. <laughs> How did you uh, know? The Angus Quarter Pounder. <laughs> <laughs> Only the best. <laughs> the Royale cheese. So we went to the uh, we went to this really expensive place, and they had the most expensive burger on the menu was what was it like eighty bucks? 
Something like that. I was like, Dave. Holy Close hell. to hundred dollars. Yeah, it was, I wasn't gonna do it. He wasn't gonna do it. And like, then no, I was like, I'm not Dave, hundred dollars on a burger. I was like, Dave, do it, do it. You love burgers. Once in a lifetime opportunity to eat this burger. Get it. And he's like, No, I feel so guilty. I was like, Get it. So he got it. He ate the burger. So good. Best burger he's ever had. Right. Yeah. Most delicious. Like two hours later. It all came out. All came back out. Maybe it wasn't the hamburger. Maybe it was the potato salad on the side. The staff. Maybe it was staff. (laughs) Yeah. I'd still eat it again. I'd still eat it again. It was super good. Nearly two dozen children died after eating free school lunches. The health department says 80 people got sick after eating at Morisco's restaurant. Bluebell ice cream recalled this spring for listeria contamination. A bakery in Sydney's south has been shut down following a serious salmonella outbreak. One mother says dodgy chicken might be to blame. Every so often, a food will get contaminated and that can make a lot of people sick. So here is Dr. Vanessa Cardi to tell us more. There are very many different strains of E. coli, but by far the nastiest and scariest is E. coli 0157H7. In 2006, there was an outbreak of this strain in 29 U.S. states, and it was linked to the consumption of raw bagged spinach. The spinach had been grown in California on a farm where the water irrigation system was contaminated with fecal runoff from Angus cattle and possibly also some wild deer. What was particularly difficult about this case was that the bacteria had been absorbed into the plants themselves, so washing and rinsing the leaves before consumption didn't remove the bacteria and the toxin. Outbreaks of bloody diarrhea and dehydration ensued, with 276 people falling ill, 31 of them developing hemolytic uremic syndrome, and three people actually dying from the food poisoning. Ten years after this spinach outbreak, some of these dangerous strains of E. coli, well, they're still causing some major outbreaks. A local Chipotle restaurant was temporarily closed after dozens of customers reported getting sick. So in the news recently here in the U.S., Chipotle, a fast food Mexican restaurant, which is spectacular. Is it not? Mm, It's so good. Chipotle is the bomb. So So they recently, unfortunately, suffered a multi-state outbreak of food poisoning with these two dangerous strains of E. coli that we've been talking about. And as many as 55 people got sick, causing the chain to close many of its restaurants. And they had a huge plunge, 50% decrease in their business at the time. How does the CDC know when there is an outbreak at a particular place? How does that information get sent to them? And then they know like, oh, it was Chipotle that's the problem and not like all these random little things. Yeah, this is a really cool thing um, because you can imagine like if uh, you get sick over here and somebody gets sick over there and how could you possibly sort of work out where it comes from? So in the ERs, there's surveillance that's supposed to occur all the time. So if you're sick and you've got bloody diarrhea and you're really sick and you go see Jess, what she does after she makes you feel better is report this disease to the hospital and then the hospital reports it to a local health agency. Those health agencies report all of these cases to a centralized area, often the CDC. And the CDC is always looking and uh, there's always some food poisoning going on all the time. But when they see a big spike, all these reports coming on from L.A. County, they go, hang right. on a minute. This is way above normal. Something bad's going on. Your primary care doctor is doing the same thing. Mm. The pathologist that works in the hospital is doing the same thing. If he sees an E. coli 0157H7 strain in some uh, poop that's been sent to him or her, they have to send that off, tell the CDC. So all of this comes together and gets reported to sort of local agencies, then state agencies, and then even federal agencies so that they can go there as an outbreak. Then they send their investigators to find out from where... 
did the badness come? They asked a bunch of people when they ate, what they ate, where they ate, which restaurant they visited. They did gene sequencing to trace the types of infection. And then the company was working on it itself. But unfortunately, they did not find an obvious source. It could have been the lettuce, the salsa. It could have even been, sorry, Mel, some of the beef from Australia. No, I don't believe mm. it. it couldn't be that. <laughs> So the company's done a really good job. They've doubled down on their food handling practices and uh, they've tried to sort of clean things up as much as possible. But it's a really good reminder that even though you've got the full weight of CDC experts and government agencies and even the uh, company themselves trying as hard as they can, sometimes you can't find out where this stuff came from. Often they do, but sometimes they can't. So remember, next time you get sick and you're sure, Dave, it was that really expensive burger you had last night at Jimmy's home of undercooked patties and beer, finding the real culprit sometimes can be very difficult. So don't give your dog a hard time if they can't confirm your gut feeling that the source was that place you ate last night. Waitress! Waitress! What did he order? Oh, he had a special. That's what I ordered! I changed my order for the soup! Good move. Uh, so you mentioned earlier that there are some really crazy toxins out there, like the, in the 250 category. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear just a couple. Entertain me a little. All right. I think there's two really interesting ones that are worth talking about. So there's this really interesting uh, food poisoning called Ciguatera food poisoning. Sometimes uh, if you eat a fish contaminated with a little guy called a dinoflagellate, and it's a little cigotoxin, you can develop crazy neurological findings. So in addition to the usual nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, you can now get muscle pain, you can get numbness, you can get vertigo, like the whole world is spinning, you can start to get hallucinations, and you get this thing called cold allodynia. Cold allodynia. It's this burning hot sensation when you touch something cold. But if you touch something cold, it feels burning hot. So your nerves are backwards for hot and cold. Switched. Thank you. Some crazy toxicologists even think that you can transmit this toxin sexually. So your snuggle bunny might get symptoms as well. What? That's so crazy. Although you probably don't want to be having sex with people that are vomiting and having diarrhea. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying. Yeah, not a good thing. <laughs> so uh, while the symptoms usually only last a few days, it has been reported that you can have these symptoms on and off for years. Wow. Yeah, and this toxin really messes with your nerves, and unfortunately, there's no known treatment. What fish do I need to avoid so this does not happen to me or Jess? It happens in a couple of different fish, but barracuda is the classic fish. Okay, so I'll just avoid barracuda. And there's another crazy one, Dave. It's called scombroid, and it comes from a fish like mackerel or tuna or bonito. So if you take these fish and you leave them out and the bacteria is in there, the bacteria start to digest the fish. And in the process, they convert some of the muscle, which is histidine, into this stuff called histamine. Now, histamine causes facial swelling and flushing and sweating and a burning sort of peppery taste on your tongue. Mm. Oh, and sounds... people with asthma can actually have full-on asthma attacks from this. Wow. Bad. Yeah. But the good news is that we do have medications for it that can help like epinephrine and antihistamines like Benadryl. So just like everything else in life uh, with food poisoning, don't leave out your tuna to rot before you eat it. You know, don't take a tuna sandwich and leave it on the back of the bus for six hours. In Mm. fact, there was a a big, a huge number of cases that occurred at USC County, L.A. about 10 years ago when about 13 or 15 people came to the emergency department all red-faced and sweating and looking bad. And Billy Mellon walked in and said, that is scrumboid fish poisoning. And sure enough, they'd all eaten at the same restaurant. 
He must have been trained for a long time to be just walk into a room and be he, like, this is what you got. I'm done. Drop the mic. You're all patent really recognition. Known. Seen it before. Yeah. Boom. Wow. He's go. super smart. So, Dave, as you can imagine, a person can lose a lot of fluid with food poisoning. You're puking, you're diarrheaing. And at first, it's just sort of the fluid that's in your stomach and your intestines. You just sort of flush yeah. it out. But if you've got it really bad and you keep vomiting and you keep having lots of diarrhea, then your body equilibrates. So you start to shift uh, fluid from all over your body oh. into those cells. So over time, you lose a lot of fluid. And in that fluid is a lot of electrolytes, things like sodium and potassium. And so just putting back water, if you're really sick, is not going to replace those electrolytes. And if you don't replace those electrolytes, you can make yourself even more sick. If you cannot keep any fluids down whatsoever for hours and are vomiting large amounts, having large amounts of diarrhea, if it's getting to the point where you're feeling weak and dizzy, you know, you feel when you stand up, you're feeling like you're going to pass out and you're unable to get enough fluids in your mouth to try to correct that, that might be a situation in which you may need to go to the emergency room. So places like the WHO Who? have these... The WHO? Who? The World <laughs> Health Organization? Who? Exactly. Who? <laughs> They've got these sort of uh, replacement fluids that they suggest for people that are really dehydrated. And they've got a little fluid, little electrolytes. It's good stuff. So you can buy pre-made uh, versions of this, like Pedialyte. Ugh. So it has a little fluid, it has a little salt, it has a little glucose. Yeah. And the glucose is in there because it actually takes energy. Your guts, uh, cells require a little energy to absorb that fluid. So it's a little bit of water, a little bit of salt, a yeah. little bit of I sugar. I don't like Pedialyte. I've had that before with food poisoning. I, if I had to pick one, it has to be cherry flavor, I guess. But yeah, grape I can't do. Now, another really important thing that comes up and people ask this all the time, well, what about just Gatorade? Because that was yeah. made to rehydrate you, right? right? Well, that's actually not the best fluid solution. That's uh, got too much uh, salts and too much sugar in it. So if you're going to use Gatorade to rehydrate yourself, most people say dilute it about half and half. Put half a cup of Gatorade and put Yum. half a cup of water in. There is a way to do your own solution that you can make. According to the WHO, you can take a liter of clean water and add one level teaspoon of salt, and then you add four heaping teaspoons of sugar, and you mix that all up, and that works pretty well for most people. Sometimes when people get sick, they feel like dehydrated, so they'll chug a whole bottle of something all at once, and then it's just gonna come right back up again. But sometimes if you try just tiny sips, just take a half sip, wait a half a minute, another half sip, wait a minute, another half sip, very tiny amounts like that often will allow you to get enough fluids in to keep you from having to go to the emergency department. So in the ER, we have some advanced technology. We have the ability to give you fluids through your vein. We call it what? an IV. What yeah. is this alien technology so, you speak of? Exactly. So in the ER, we'll usually put in an IV if you're not able to hold down fluids and rehydrate you that way. You know, there's another really crazy way we can hydrate people in the ER, and it's done in kids. And it's done in vet mm -hmm. uh, institutions. Right. Is that you can put the fluid subcutaneously. Oh, I was yeah. going to say, like a bolus, right? So they stick these needles under the skin and they give you a big bolus of oh. fluid and then you absorb it from under your skin. So they do that in dogs and cats and stuff. But it can actually be done in humans. And in some third world countries, they do that fairly frequently because they can't get an IV in. They put the little needle under oh. the skin, give you uh, some fluid under the skin, and then you absorb it. Nice. Weird. Nice. Very cool. So how can we avoid all of this food poisoning now? Cook it, clean it, what what what, what would very simple, stop eating. Yeah, okay. <laughs>
So obviously food uh, preparation is really important and there's a science to sort of keeping things clean. You know, everybody knows this, I think, that, you know, you keep your kitchen clean, you wash stuff off. If you're preparing meat, you don't prepare the salad next to the meat, this kind of thing. Uh, wash your foods. It's all pretty basic stuff. Um, but it's not that basic because I've seen people in my family in particular make some really grievous errors because I didn't quite understand it. So my brother would take steak and he'd marinate it up and he'd leave it out in the marinade for hours and hours and then he'd throw it on the barbecue and he'd make these great steaks and then he would take the steak and dip it back uh, in the marinade. Mm. No, uh-uh. Bad idea. So just remember... When you cook stuff, don't put it back with the raw stuff. And then if you're traveling, a good tip to remember is boil it, peel it, cook it, or forget it. So what we mean is boiling it, obvious, right? right. Most food that you boil, you're going to kill the bacteria and the toxin because most of them can't take it, except for staph, right. enterotoxin. 250. Right. And uh, peel it because fruits, if you peel it yourself, yeah. are really unlikely to have bacteria inside them. But we say peel it yourself because... The scenario could be you're a little vendor, they've got some nice fruit there, they peel it for you and they uh. hand it to you, but unfortunately <laughs> the little vendor has got a little bit of poopy under their fingernail and they're handing you a nice piece of orange plus a bit of poopy. Good travel tip. Excellent travel tip. I will peel my own fruit. And then cook it for the same reasons, because it kills most bacteria and toxins. And uh, if you can't do those things, then forget it. Just have a beer, and uh, that's usually sterile, so you'll be fine. Yeah. Or two. I mean, that's what vacation's for. Beer so. is the safest and most delicious for yeah. traveling options. Right. That's right. And you need some extra calories, so you might have to have three. Or four. And also remember that if you're really dehydrated, take frequent sips of water or a diluted sports drink. And if you really can't keep fluids down, just come and see us in the ER. And if you're having bloody diarrhea, you've got that dysentery syndrome, just come and see us in the ER. And in fact, I think it is a good general rule that if you go to the bathroom and out comes blood with your poop, you should probably come and see us. Just come see us. Yeah. But please, if you do come in, please do not bring your poop in a bag. If I had a dollar for every time someone brought me poop in a bag, I'd have two dollars. <laughs> you think it'd be more. <laughs> Actually, I would. I would think time. it'd be more. Give me time. Yeah. Wait, how's that presented? Yeah. How, do, how does that go down? Give us the scenario. It goes like this. It Hi, goes dog. like this. How you doing? Um, Look what I have. I'm pooping blood. And if you would just pick up my coat and reach into the pocket, what you will find is poop in a bag. And if you take it out, you can test it. I like the fact that he's asking, or she, is asking you to reach Richard. into the coat pocket. First. Yeah. They're not presenting First. it. They're like, hey, go over there. Reach in. Re uh, Mr. Smith, I can tell you right now that there is no chance in hell that I'm reaching into <laughs> your pocket to pull out your bag of poo. What kind of bag is it in? <laughs> I know. Is it like a nice Ziploc Zip freezer bag? A brown paper bag. paper bag? The double seal? <laughs> I don't know. That turns purple, so you know you've linked up the two sides. What's going to happen? Don't do that. You've got plenty more poop. We know where to find it. <laughs> I prefer to collect my own sample. Thank you. That's when I snap on my gloves. He paid for it that night. Hunched over the toilet. This episode of This Won't Hurt A Bit was written by Jess Mason, Dave Mason, and Mel Herbert. Praying. Music by Matt Eccles and St. Cecilia. Promising that I would be a better person if I could just get through whatever it was that was happening to me. Produced by C.C. Herbert and Bill Connor. Sound design by Bill Connor. Can you edit out anything that makes me look anything less than glamorous or beautiful, please? 
And a big thanks to the voices who helped make this episode. Sean Collier, Dr. Matthew Zimney, Jeffrey Barra, Brad Schultz, Dr. John Queen, Dr. Jared Hauk, Dr. Susie Shimoyama, Dr. Greg Moran, Dr. Vanessa Cardi, and Lynn McLansborough. This One Heard A Bit is a production of Fooliboo Incorporated. The information you hear on This One Heard A Bit should not be taken as actual medical advice. If you have actual medical questions about actual medical things, you should see an actual medical practitioner. Even though we are actually doctors, we're not your actual doctor, so... Be sensible and keep it real. And this, oh this, 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 this,